2: well 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 they let us back in now i am the greatest baseball fan ever i've formerly played major league baseball and love the game of baseball but i have to tell you one time one week in my entire life 48 years on this earth i had to deal with some hatred towards baseball that was last week
1: that was last week yeah they
2: kicked us off the air for the royals game Come on, man. Yeah,
1: yeah, I don't, yeah! I don't get that either. I mean, and I think, we're back though. Yeah, I, yeah. That's the most important part. Is that is the fact that we're back? But I don't get the whole you know kicking us off the air. I, I believe that we're a lot more entertaining than you know sitting there watching baseball. I mean. I've never, I've never really been like a baseball fan, but...
2: Watch your mouth now. You know what? You yeah, know, I'm, not, I'm, not even, I'm not even going to go that far. But I'm going
1: to say yeah. this. We are a lot more entertaining than watching a baseball game, that's for sure.
2: There so. we go. And that's Joe Mays, <laughs> and I am Danon Hughes, and we are here on Players Only. And Sir. for the new listeners out there, it's a Players Only show that we just chop it up, what we talk about in the locker room, outside the locker room, as former players and only with former players, and we are joined today and i'm so happy now i'm a little bit you know resurrected because i got another offensive guy in here mark bo richter joins us what's up fellas what's how happened? we doing let me tell you <laughs> bo i have had to endure defensive guy after defensive guy after defensive guy sitting right in that chair where you are I had to take some Pepto-Bismol after oh. every show last season. <laughs> TMI. So we are starting to string in some more offensive guys in here because there's just a better glow. I mean, it just there's just more energy. We don't have to deal with all the complaining and the cheating. I, I had to check my wallet when was JC was in what? here last week. You know, how <laughs> DBs. They just like to pick your pocket and pull your shirt and do all that stuff. So I'm happy you're here, man. Hey, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, Appreciate right. it. Well, you know, on Players Only each week, what we do is we just talk about what random things happen on and off the field. Obviously, with the Chiefs being 3-0 and right now, uh, they're sitting pretty uh, in a great position, especially with two of those games being on the, on the road. Uh, and we'll get to that later. But mm-hmm. what I want to talk about with you specifically, since you joined us, uh, is just about your, your career. And, and tell tell us, tell us all, I know I'm not familiar with everything, and Joe definitely isn't, tell us all about your your way to the NFL.
0: Yeah, so I took a long road to the NFL. <laughs> <laughs> really. I mean, uh, I went to uh, a small NAI school in Nebraska, Hastings College, which was, you know, uh, three blocks away from my uh, childhood home. My father was the athletic director there. Uh, That's not why I went there. I just, I felt, coming out, I was a late bloomer. So I, as a sophomore in high school, I was still like 5'10". Gotcha. So my junior year is where I really sprouted up and then graduated. When I graduated, I was a tight end for our football team at Hastings High. It was about 6'3", 6'4", 185. And so I had a good frame, you know, on me, uh, from that standpoint. Went to Hastings College. Uh, Got a lot of playing time as a freshman. Uh, basically started from my sophomore year on. Um and had a really good junior year and after that, uh, got a little bit of interest just based mm-hmm. on my size and everything else. And after had a tremendous senior season and in an option offense. Okay, so we didn't throw the ball like we do now, yeah. right? In the spread, it, yeah, spread which was yeah. fantastic uh, back then, but um. And knew I just wanted to keep trying to play if yeah. I could. Whether that was the Arena League, you know, was in existence more so. I think it's still around, but not as, you know, it was, it was a higher profile thing then. Uh, Canada, NFL, wherever. I just wanted a shot to see. And if it wasn't going to work out for me, not a big deal. Yeah. I'll just go find a job and do whatever. Probably get into coaching or whatever from that standpoint. And so you
2: went, what'd you go? You went two years in the, uh, in Canadian football?
0: Yeah. So what happened is, is we had a, uh, A guy on our staff who's from Canada originally and I mean he's been in Hastings for like thirty some years. Um but he made a few calls um to some folks up there and the NFL draft came and went and in the meantime I'd gone to Chicago to work out with the speed coach and all this other kind of stuff, just to get myself ready. One of those regional combines you pay like three hundred and fifty dollars to, you know, in Chicago. Um and did all that and had great numbers and it was on the radar of a couple NFL teams to possibly be an undrafted free agent, but we all know. I mean, I shouldn't say we all, but you guys know that if you don't get that call by the sixth, seventh round, possibly on things, you it's know, be probably, a free agent. Yeah, it's right, probably, that's right. It's be a free agent, it's probably, you know, not going to happen for you. So a couple days after the draft, I still hadn't got a call, and I went to Dallas, Texas, and worked out at a regional uh, invite only deal for the Calgary St. Peters, and it went really well. And they called two days later and wanted to sign me. Uh, for you know, whopping thirty-seven thousand dollars a year, and I Woo-hoo. said, "Let's go, let's yeah, go. go." So <laughs> flew to uh, flew up to Canada uh, a couple weeks later, and then uh, had a great rookie season. So that was kind of the start of uh, yeah my football career and how I got into the pro game. There you least. go. So
2: the yeah. Chiefs, I'm sure, called later a little bit later, and you were able to make it to the NFL. Now, Joe, this is one stat I do know about Bo that you may not know. He holds the actual record. For the longest pass play in Chiefs history.
0: In really? NFL history, yeah. In NFL yeah. history, NFL. it cannot oh. be broken. That's right. It's 99 yards. It can never be broken. Never I remember watching that. That's and awesome. And I also hold still the rookie record for touchdown receptions in a season for the Chiefs as well with eight. Yes. Which are the only eight that I scored here. Brother, <laughs> <laughs> but I'll take it. Hey, well, it
2: was great watching you. Obviously, when I watch games, my eyes gravitate to the wide receivers, and those cheating guys on the other side of the line of scrimmage and and how you work so i remember your speed i remember your length i remember you being that blue collar guy and that's one thing i think all 3 of us have in common is that we were not the high draft uh choices not the you know the so-called blue chip or big money guys truly blue collar guys that basically did whatever it took to stay on the field and keep our careers you know what's interesting? I started thinking about this show and and you know what I wanted to talk about with you guys because we come from uh, a variety of different places. Mm-hmm. Is you know when did like for me? I I always ask myself when did I know I I could make it? You know I went to the University of Iowa, mm-hmm. played in the Rose Bowl, played in you know four bowls in five years. Uh, obviously played on national TV against great teams like Michigan, and Ohio State every year and so on and so forth. But I always wonder, I think back, I'm like, you know, when did I know that I I could play at this next level? Because where I grew up in Jersey, we didn't have any pro athletes, barely had some college athletes as far as football is concerned, especially going away. So there was no one that I could look up to that I saw working out at the local gym or down at the park or something like that and say, hey, I, I can be like him. So for you guys that come from North Dakota State and Hastings College, you know, was there a time where you actually can remember looking in the mirror and saying, you know, this I know I can make it. I know I can get to that level.
1: Uh, you know what? Um, that's that, that's kind of tough because I'd never – so let me start out by saying this. Playing in the NFL, that was never a dream of mine because, you know, me playing football, that was more so my escape from getting out of the city of Chicago. You know, and, and being able to go off to school and get an education and get it paid for. Like that was that was most everything for me. But, you know, just going out there and learning the game and playing the game and being around the coaches, you know, mentors, um, you know, they were able to show me everything I needed to know. And by the time my sophomore year came around, you know, my coaches started telling me, like, you got the look of a you know NFL linebacker. You know, if you keep it up, if you keep on going, if you keep playing well, if you keep, you know, studying hard and taking care of your business, you can make it. Um, but I didn't really necessarily have, I didn't think that I could make it until maybe my senior year because I wasn't really focused on it. I was focused on, you know, playing with my guys and, 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 you know, continuing, continuing to build that camaraderie. So that was just something that, you know, the NFL just, just so happened came and, you know, I was able to take advantage of it.
2: Yeah, and you know what? Everybody has their own story mm-hmm. and how they got to where they got to and how we can be still, how we can still have this platform and, 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 you know, obviously achieve our goals. And for me, I was a, I was a baseball guy. I played professional baseball before the Chiefs. Uh, I played college baseball for four years and got drafted and then I was, Very, you know, obviously extremely blessed to have the Chiefs draft me after that. So uh, growing up, didn't see any baseball players, didn't see any football players, just knew I loved the game and didn't know how to work out, didn't have an organized weightlifting program in our schools and, uh, you know, some dysfunction that was out there. We had a lot of great athletes, but um, no no real organization in regards to it being a pipeline to get to the next level. They're much better now. Shout out to Bayonne High School and Bayonne, New Jersey. Uh, but definitely different back then. Bo, I know yours is very unique. You already started with that story. But after we come from break, I want to touch on your story in that aspect. But there's also a difference. There's a major difference in this in this booth right
1: now. <laughs> oh, definitely. There's a big there's, difference, There's yes. two
2: wide receivers, but one of them is not like the other. He's a white wide receiver that played in the NFL. I want to tackle that next. All right, we're back. Players only back. Segment two with the fellas, Mark Bo Richter, Joe Mays, and myself, Danon Hughes. And we, we left off after Joe Mays' uh, story on when he knew and if there was a time where he knew when he was going to make it in the NFL. And, and Bo, you obviously have a very unique story coming from NAIA football and climbing the ladder through uh, the Canadian Football League and to the Chiefs in 2002 to 2005. Spent some great years there, record-breaking years, especially in your rookie year. But the one thing when, when I when I invited you on, and I was thinking about some topics, uh, you know, I grew up in the '70s and '80s, so there was the Chris Collinsworths and the Steve Largents, you know, big-time names, big-time receivers, white receivers, and then there seemed to be kind of a a a decade or so of time where you didn't really see. Very many wide receivers, especially during my years. Now you can talk about the Amendolas and the Edelmans and, and you know, Hogan and and several guys, you know. Adam Thielen. Cup, you know, Thielen. You know, yeah. there are a lot of top-shelf wide receivers who happen to be white. Not that, that that's never an issue in the locker room. I'm sure it's never outside of maybe some trash talking that goes on on the field that you can speak to yeah. that I can't speak <laughs> to. But – First, when you knew that you could make it in the NFL, when you knew that you could be a player in the NFL, and then the impact of being what many people would say a white receiver during that time.
0: Yeah, I think for me, coming out of a small NAI school, you know, I mentioned before, I just wanted to, to be able to play, right? And thought I could play at a, a, a different level. Um, <clears throat> My first game in the CFL. Uh, I was backing up um, Alan Pitts, who at the time was like the Jerry Rice of the CFL, Mm -hmm. held every single record. I remember the Um, name, yeah. Yeah. And and he didn't play the first preseason game because he was like 33 years old at the time, right? He probably was older than that, actually, at the time. Um, (laughs) 35, maybe. He was a satchel page? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's on that, at that spot. But he was a legend, right? Yeah. And so um, the very first pass I received in the first preseason game, I took like fifty five yards to the house. And I think it was at that point that I was like, okay, I can, you know for me it was about proving my to myself, I think that I could play at a higher level. Yep. And once that happened, I was like, okay, I belong here. Right. After playing at the NAI level, I dominated five foot seven defensive backs on the outside, you know, at six three. You yeah. just don't know until you actually get to, to that point and see it. So I think at that point for me Um, it was when I knew I was going to have a shot at some point, whether it was going to be in the CFL the whole time or whether it was going to be in the NFL. And then when I got here to Kansas City, I came into a great situation because Tony Gonzalez was holding out Hmm. all through like OTAs for a new contract. And so I got immersed in the offense of running a lot of the routes that he ran um, because I was a bigger wide receiver. And so, um, you know, from then, from that point, you know, I had a ton of interest around the league. I chose to come here. I took less money to come here than to go to Indianapolis and catch passes from Peyton Manning. Um, Any regrets? Not really, because, <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, you can always yeah. look at the rear mirror and go, yeah, sh- why was I thinking? But during my free agency period before I came and signed with Kansas City, Indianapolis had Marvin Harrison. They had um, Reggie Wayne Reggie had Wayne. just been drafted the year before in the first round. Uh, Jerome Paython was still there. He was a free agent, but they made no bones. that They wanted him back. Stokely. Stokely yep. came, yeah, right after, right around that same time, I think, mm-hmm. or the year or so after. So for me, it was about opportunity. And here, you know, Sly Morris had just torn up his knee again. Mm-hmm. Um, Eddie Kennison had only been here for three or four games at the end of the 2001 season. Dante Hall was still a running back converting to wide receiver yep. at the time. Um, I think was who it? else is there? Snoop Larry Menace Parker. Was was yeah, Larry right. Parker was here, but Stu Minnis was you know a fourth round pick the year before. Mm-hmm. There was more opportunity I felt for me to challenge to to get on the field here, and then I had appendicitis the second or third day of training camp, my rookie year, so I didn't play in almost all the preseason games. But it was the Jacksonville game, um, third like the third game of the regular season, and I was suited up for every single game and played a lot of special teams, of course, but. I made a catch uh, over top of I think Donovan Darius like in a 2 minute situation and that was I think my moment when I'm like okay this is this is real yeah. you know for me type of thing very nice. cool Did
1: so, you get hit by him?
2: He didn't yeah oh did, he, did, he didn't get taken uh, out No I didn't get Donovan, taken out I he went he over top man. yeah Okay yeah. all right yeah Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah you, you had a head was on a swivel yes. him out there Absolutely sure. Yeah definitely So now you so you're a white you're a white receiver a white wide receiver yep. in the NFL I'm sure there's some spicy stories, but just just
0: well, generally speaking, the dynamic of it. Yeah, you know, I'm deceptively fast, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> you got all uh, the tag? It yeah, yeah, like Mayock already. This, you know, <laughs> deceptively
0: fast. Uh, you know, run great routes. You know, all those different things that come into the uh, the tagline of being a white dude that plays wide receiver in the National Football League. Um, no, it's funny. Uh, I say it's funny, but you know. Growing up in Nebraska, we always got the Chiefs games first at noon, mm-hmm. right, with the regional coverage, and then we always got the Broncos. So, like, the comparisons for oh, me McCaffrey. and Ed McCaffrey all the yeah, time, McCaffrey. right? Because he yeah. was the one guy you talked about, you know, the Collinsworth and the Steve Largens mm-hmm. and those types of guys, but Easy Ed was the guy in the 90s, you oh, know, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, from a white receiver standpoint that was, was making a lot of a lot of plays. And so the part that cracks me up is – you never get a white wide receiver ever compared to any other receiver in the league, except for a white guy. Like, <laughs> that was I was just thinking that.
2: I was just thinking That's that. That's the part you... that
0: cracks me up. Cause like for me as a bigger dude, it was okay. He's like Ed McCaffrey. Or then it was like, He's like Joe Gavicious, what? Like, because yeah, Joe, Joe is from yep, Penn the giants, State, yep. that sort of thing. Those are like, what? Why? Because we're big, six three, two hundred and twenty pound dudes. Like that's, and we're white. That's the only comparison it can be. You guys use the
2: same hair gel?
0: Yeah, I that's mean like that must
2: have been it. I don't know. It's it's just,
0: <laughs> and I still laugh at it. You know, and you didn't, you know this, but I mean, with me on Twitter and stuff, I still laugh at everything that's out there because it, it is. You will never see a white guy that plays wide receiver in the National Football League compared to any other wide receiver ever. Yeah. No matter what happens. They're, they always try to find a comp. And there's a guy, there was a reporter in Green Bay in two thousand six when I was there that actually did a story on the white wide receivers. Um and came up to, and started talking to me and I'm like and, and he's like, I'm doing this story on on white wide receivers around the National Football League and I looked at him like he was crazy, like I can't believe we're sitting in an NFL locker room and we're doing a story on white wide receivers, yeah. you know, type of thing. But he talked about it being like this little fraternity of guys because we, there weren't a lot of us. Uh-huh. So Drew Bennett was in uh, Tennessee at the time, and I think he had twelve or 1,300 yep. yards like the year before. Didn't yep. go to the Pro Bowl. Uh, myself, Brian Finneran, um, big wide receiver, played for the Falcons. Yep. I know I'm missing Stokely was in, um, you know, shorter guy. Um, yeah, sure, but quick, but in terms agile. of size-wise compared to us. But, you know, there wasn't very many of us um, on that side of things. So it's interesting. But, yeah, I, I mean, the my favorite all-time piece <laughs> with this is, like, <laughs> when we're playing, right, you're in the game, and I'm running a nine route on the outside, okay? And I beat the dude by, like, three steps, you know, and I don't get the ball because it's going to 88 instead of me, yeah, right, during my time, which is fine. But the, the look on the guy's face where you're like, man, you're, you're fast for white dude. You know, <laughs> like, I'm like, I ran a 443, yeah. okay, in the 40. Yeah. Like, you know, it is, yeah, I can fly, you know, um, that's the biggest stigma, I think, you know, yeah. is whether, you know, you must have been pretty fast. Well, yeah, I was, but I was just as fast as all the other guys. Yeah. But just cause I was a bigger white dude and at 200 225 pounds, I'm kind of a hybrid, kind of a hybrid. So I kind of look like a tight end and, you know, we get in the huddle next to Gonzalez, I'm not two hundred and fifty pounds, but I'm not that far off from him. Right. You know. Um and then when I stand next to Dante, who's like five eight, I do look like a tight end, yeah, you know, for sure. So yeah, I mean I heard all the comparisons and the you know, stigma on it and all that piece. And I I, <laughs> I laugh but I laugh with it and have a great time with it because it it does always crack me up as to you know, white wide receivers get this stigma of you know they're shifty, they're quicker than they are fast, they're deceptively fast, all that kind of stuff.
2: And, cool. and the trash talk on the field. I oh, mean, yeah. Joe, you were one of those guys. Did you talk? You, you? I think you referenced that you didn't really talk a whole bunch. On the
1: nah, field. man, I was never much of a talker. I just wanted to go out there and hit somebody. This, and if this. if I ran into guys that talk, that's when I started opening up opening oh. up my mouth. You know what I mean? Because I felt like they they asked for that. But then, you know, I would, talk to, I would talk trash to him, and then I would hit him again the next play. Yeah. And I would say, I'm hoping y'all run the same play again. Yeah. Because then me and you are going to get a chance to see each other, see again. Each other again. And see, it's, I talk that, from, the, yeah. from the jump. I, I, cool. I,
2: I had to engage. I, oh, like, yeah. I had to feel like it was a game within the game for me that I needed to get into your brain. And as crazy as it sounds, I love winning. Winning was uh, obviously the, the most important thing. But a very, very, very close second was knowing that I got you. Right. And how I was going to get you was I was going to talk to you all game long, cut block, crack back, didn't matter. Whatever rules were allotted to us as wide receivers, I was going to do. It didn't matter. And um, But I needed to know that you heard me. I needed to know that you wondered if I broke the huddle. If the play, if I was in the huddle and we broke the huddle, I needed to know that you knew. That I was on your side of the field because I didn't have the four-four speed like Bo Richter. I didn't have the you know I wasn't a deep. Dive. I was just a physical receiver. Mm-hmm. But so I talked from the get-go. Was from, it only to corners? The opening kickoff. I'm on kickoff. I'm the kicker. I'm the special teams captain. So I'm out at the coin toss, and you know I'm not shaking hands with you. I you know that's my mindset. It, oh. it was on tilt from the beginning, um, but you know Bo, you talked about. Like, what is your response? So you got DBs that are saying this. So I know I talk I, trash, and I'm waiting for responses. What was yeah, your response? Yeah, I was
0: not much of a talker, really, in terms of talking trash at all. Like, no. I really wasn't until somebody started talking to me. You know, I was more like I would wait. And and being a white dude, I kind of love the fact, <laughs> as a white receiver, that you can blow by a guy because it's like he's going to talk, talk, talk. Yeah. And then I blow by him, and it's like, okay, this white dude just ran right by you. You know, yeah, he kind of thing. clams right? up Yeah, then, then he clams up after that. So that <laughs> – i kind of try to let my you know my game do the talking in some of that capacity but yeah i mean i've heard it all you know out there (laughs) and and you know we live in a world now where things aren't still what they should be right in terms and we can joke about it in here because we're you know we know what's going on but and i don't want to call it like a reverse piece to that but there is that stigma as a white wide receiver the reverse aspect of like this guy can't really play at all or whatever and then you go out and catch, you know, four for eighty-five on him and a touchdown, and it's like, okay, this dude can play, you yep. know, type of thing. So, I, I, I used to just relish in the fact that that if I was going to get mine and and get by him on things or or have a day that that my you know my play was going to do the talking. But I, I, you know, Dayton was the guy, you know that never shut up. So you were just like, Man, would this dude ever just Go shut figure up? It. Right we're down, on the we're the down seventeen right. points and Dana's still out there talking, you know, type of thing. Like, that's the guy that oh. that's the guys that I used to like I mean, I didn't play with Dana, but that's the type of guy, you know, out there on the field that I used to love to beat those guys and just oh, never yeah. shut up. You man, know? You
1: losing. How are you losing and still talking? <laughs> so that's
2: 60 minutes on the clock, man. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I got a whole bunch of words that can go in 60 <laughs> minutes with all the commercials, too?
1: Oh, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> I, I mean, the trash talking, Like for me, it wasn't specific to one position, either. It was to whoever. So it was. It could be the fullbacks, the tight ends. Yeah. The best was the offensive linemen because they, they look at me as an underdog. I'm small. small like yeah. You know, 5'10", 5'11", 245, like they, they think they can really just move me out of the way. But I had leverage, and I was able to get underneath that face mask. And then, yeah. you know, I knew – I mean, I, I was taught how to play the game nasty and dirty too when, whenever you're inside them trenches because there's no such thing as a clean place, no such thing as – you know, just doing what you it, I mean, at the end of the day, you only needed to do what you needed to do in order to beat the beat the block and make a play like that's That was my only focus. And, you know, I would grab a face mask or two. I would do I would do certain things that that would that would, you know, make them mad so that they come and they say things. And then now I know I, I have you now they playing with 10. I got you. Oh. I got your attention. You got my attention. Man. So whenever you're focused on, whenever y'all running a different play and you're looking at me, but you got another job you're supposed to do, got I know I got you. Got him. Yeah, I mean, uh, and, that, and, and that was perfect. I, I enjoyed doing that. Bruh, I could tell you stories. Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: if this was not uh, public airwaves, special teams, poking eyes, kicking guys, grabbing uh, you-know-whats, whatever you want to hey, call it, man, in look. the scrum when there's a fumble on wow, the ground geez. and yes. special teams, forget about it. I mean, that's that's to me that's what the game was about and if there's an aspect of the game that I missed afterwards, it was probably that physical part of the game. You know, to and I don't know about Jubo and but when I was in the locker room when we watched a film on Monday, catching the ball, guys that caught the ball and 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 had big plays, yeah, you know, they get a little opera clap, yeah, mm-hmm. nice play, blah blah blah. Somebody decleat somebody, chop them down. Open up a big hole for a running back, Marcus Allen or Greg Hill or whomever to run through, and you got a key block down the field, crack back on a safety or whack back on a linebacker, you know, standing 40 pounds less than them, and you got that. I'm up and I'm cheering like I'm in Arrowhead Stadium. That's just my mindset. The yeah. catching part was the easy part. You should, yeah, if you wear a number 80 jersey, you're supposed to be able to catch. Right. That's the
0: glory piece, right? Yeah, that's the glory piece. Doing all the dirty work. Yeah, doing all the dirty work.
2: Down and dirty stuff uh, is, is what really jumps out to me. Talking about down and dirty, when we come back from break, we're going to talk about this Chiefs team and what we've seen. We weren't on, on air last week after the Raider game. And now we're right after the Ravens game. I want to talk about the down and dirty aspect of this Chiefs team being three and zero. All right, guys, we're back. Segment three of Players Only, and that last segment, what you know, that's what the genesis about this show is about. That's why you know the brainchild behind this show. You know what came to my mind is you know chopping it up about stuff that the general fan doesn't know unless they know us personally, our Mm -hmm. neighbors, maybe family, friends, people who we work with, that we can have that lunchtime conversation and we open up. We open up with each other. It's automatic. But everyone else, we're kind of guarded Mm -hmm. about what we say and the stories we tell and so on. And there's just dynamics that we would never know about or the general fan would never know about unless we share them. So that's, that's what was always behind the players only is that we have this forum to, to chat and open up the the eyes and ears of people that are out there, and one other aspect uh, that the eyes and ears are open, especially over this last year, but now so in this 2019 season, is this Chiefs team. Yeah, and three and zero with two away games to start the season off. There's times, and you guys have been on teams, and I've been on teams where you know one one year of mine, we were 13 and three, but prior to the season, we were picked fifth in the AFC West, and there was only four teams. So, <laughs> I, so you know, there's times where you are underrated uh, and then there's times where you may be overrated. This is one of the very few teams, maybe during your years with Priest and that great offense uh, with Willie Rofe and Will Shield and Trent and everybody, uh, and obviously Tony, where you guys were anticipated to be very good and you wind up living up to that. But this year, especially after the last season and how it ended in the AFC Championship, this team was expected to be good and they're showing themselves to even be better than I think what most people experience. Going back to that Raider game, you know, what did you guys take away? Obviously, it was a trash type of game when you're playing on a baseball-slash-football field. Mm-hmm. I always hated that. Played on it with Miami when we went down to Miami, when we went out to Oakland, and I think there was another team that had a baseball-slash-football field. Oh, San Diego Yeah. back then. San Diego back then. Um, but... That Raider game. What did that? What did the? T- what did it tell you about this team? If anything different?
1: Uh, they were just getting started. You know, they started out very slow that first quarter, and then second quarter they came and they rang on twenty eight unanswered. Yeah. So I think that uh, you know, it, it just shows that the, you know they they just needed to get in rhythm, and once they got in rhythm, it's hard to stop them. Oh, yeah. And that's gonna be the the you know the running theme for the entire season. You know, if you if you. Any team that they play, if you can't stop the offense, you're going to be in a, in a battle because these, these guys, they're going to put points up. It's way too many weapons on the team. Um, you know, for them to not, you know, at least score 28 points a game. And I mean, that's at the very least.
2: Yeah. And what'd you think? And with that slow start, were you freaking out at all?
1: Not at all.
0: I now I mean, <laughs> that's
2: different. That's kind of different. I kind of felt different that I wasn't freaking out either. Yeah, than
0: I, past years, I think the difference is number fifteen. Yeah, like quarterback. Yeah. your quarterback situation is different. That not that Alex Smith was a bad quarterback or anything like that. It's just a different vibe. Yeah, like when they struggle. A little bit like they did in the first quarter against Oakland and they're off offensively and they're just, you know, it's the timing's just not there. They're just a little bit off. You know, it goes back to two years ago when they played the Giants up. I think the Chiefs put the Giants up in, uh, up in New York where it was like a, what was it? Like a 10-7 ball game or whatever. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. ugly. They got it off to an awful start offensively. Like they're never going to get in rhythm. That's just how it was. Um, it's it's a different vibe. You're yeah. just like, okay, there's a lot of game left here. We've seen him come from behind. We've seen him play from way in front. I think the thing for me, just, and I know we'll get into the Ravens game, but from the Raiders game is starting off the year, and I know this week they're on the road again, but three out of your first four are on the road. Yeah. It's hard in this. You guys know this. It's hard in this league to win on the road, no matter who you're playing. No matter it's where you go. It's so hard. You never apologize for whenever, <laughs> but if you can – You never apologize for a win on the road, however ugly it can be or whatever. They went out and just got, they they took care of business in the second quarter and blew it open in that Raiders game. And then we're basically able to to kind of just coast it to victory and leave some plays in their pocket that they didn't want to show yet uh, from that side of things. And, and, you know, it's against a division rival. And anytime you can win against a division rival is always a plus as well.
2: Now, as a wide receiver, I know I've been asked a lot, how would it feel to catch Passes from Patrick Mahomes and be on the field with Patrick Mahomes. You obviously had the luxury of playing with a great quarterback mm-hmm. here and Trent Green. I played with Joe Montana and and Rich Gannon, great quarterbacks, and and Steve Bono and Elvis Gerback were really good and really cool too. But this guy,
0: I mean, special man. Yeah, to, special. to
2: know that you can come out of the locker room and and I laugh at the fact of you know there are wide receivers, very talented wide receivers on this team they're going to make a lot of money because of the guy that's throwing them the ball. Oh yeah. You know, future their, their careers, the longevity in their careers are going to extend three or four years. And the guaranteed money that they're going to get is going to be extended because of number 15. And when I was playing, you know, we would talk to other receivers on vacation on the off season of other teams. And you say, Hey man, number four, that Favre guy, or, you know, or, or, you know, Peyton Manning came at, towards the latter part of my, my career, but there were great quarterbacks, Bledsoe and, you know, Aikman was still around and so on. And you hear these guys rave about them. And, you know, yeah, we're raving about Joe Montana during that time too, but to see how these guys are producing and to see the, the, the command I mean, how lovely would it have been to be a wide receiver with Patrick Mahomes? It would be, it would have been fantastic. Have like Christmas like, every day. Yes, <laughs> and
0: I played with a really good quarterback in Trent Green. Yeah, a like, really good Pro Bowler during my time here. The thing that stands out to me about Patrick Mahomes is that, and Dayton, you know this as a receiver, and Joe having to defend us on this stuff is the way he extends plays, and with his arm strength, and it's a flick of the wrist. Like you are never dead as a receiver mm-hmm. in your route ever. And you can take your go route and turn it into a post on the <laughs> broken play in the scramble drill. And he's just going to throw you away from the coverage, go yeah. to the other side of the field. Like yep. everything is available to you.
1: Yeah. That's, That's right. the
0: part to me that, that so many broken plays and different things happen with him that, that he can extend and keep plays alive and then just heave the ball out there and let you go get
2: it. Yep. It's a luxury, man, and I think these players will recognize that they might be a little spoiled right now, but if there's ever a time where somebody else has to jump in, they'll recognize, whoa, what what number 15 brought to the table is totally different, totally unique than anything that they've ever experienced, and you talk about broken plays, there's a somewhat of a broken organization that they're about to play this week in the Detroit Lions, and but... There's a little bit of concern. I don't know if it, you know, you guys, if it if it comes into your mind as well. It's a little bit of concern when you play against teams that you are decisively better than, and you're going on the road. And Bo, you talked about the difficulty of winning on the road. What do you guys feel about this Lions team? Am I the only one that's little concerned?
1: Um, mm, yeah, probably yes. <laughs> um, I'm not. I'm not necessarily concerned because I know that these guys are they're well coached. I mean. You know, any team that's coached by Andy Reid is going to be a well-coached team, and they're going to go into the games well-prepared. So I'm not worried about that. Um, the one part that I do worry about is the defense. And I know it's early in the season. You know, I know they still have some things that they have to some, – some wrinkles they have to iron out. Um, but that's that's the only thing is that, you know, having a defense that, that can stop, you know, the offense from scoring and, and, you know, being able to get the ball back as many times uh, to the offense as possible – that's truly important, and so far it hasn't been that, and I, and once again, I know it's early in the season. I know that's going to come, um, so it's not necessarily a concern, but you do want to see them play better.
0: I'm not really as concerned this week as I am the following week against Indianapolis with that big physical offensive line yeah. that they have, mm-hmm. because the Chiefs defense got out physical this week, and... You know, part of that is that's Baltimore's game, running three tight ends and slamming Mark Ingram up in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm surprised they didn't do it more, even when they were down a little bit, yeah. because that, you know, th- th- defensively, I thought they just got out physical this past week. Yeah. Now the Lions aren't that type of team, um, but they're hot right now. They are they are undefeated. They tied, you know, against Arizona, and it is on the road. Mm-hmm. And you know, I don't think the Lions have been in this position for a while with, with this good a start. So that that part. You know, Dick Vermeule had the old adage when I played is you keep losing, teams losing, right? Now, yeah. they're a winning team right now, but they traditionally have not been a winning team. You've right. got to go take care of business of those teams you should play or you should beat. Yep. It, it, you know what? It's still going to concern me a little bit just because we're decisively
2: better, but I, I, I get it. They're a team that is on the uprise, and I'm sure in their locker room they're talking about – this is our coming out party. This is a this is our opportunity as an undefeated team to show that we are a force in the NFC and not just in the NFC, but in the NFL. Uh, but after this break, we're going to talk about our careers, career longevity. Obviously, we have the luxury of having a Patrick Mahomes that we hope to be here for 15 more years. Yeah. But sometimes the career is not as long as we'd like it to be. So we're going to talk about our guys and our experiences in that, guys. And, you know... Did we get off the field when we wanted to? All right, guys, we're back. They haven't kicked us out yet. Not yet. We got in some Chiefs, current Chiefs uh, talking and, and where they are now at 3-0. But, Bo, before we get into the careers and longevity and when things end, you mentioned something, and, and I've been talking about it all week, about the Ravens and their game plan against the Chiefs. It is hilarious to me. And, and I kind of feel like this is one of the first times that we've experienced this in Chiefs kingdom where you know, for a fact you've been in a defensive locker room, you've been in a meeting room with game plans on defenses. We have both been in offensive meeting rooms, putting together game plans for opponents. It's hilarious to me that we know the exact game plan that a team is going to try to employ on the field. And you can see physically see when the game changes over when they go away from their game plan because of that kid in the 15 jersey and and you brought it up mark when you talked about the ravens run game yeah all week long i would bet my house on it that john harbaugh talked about running the ball keeping the ball time of possession on their side of the field and 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 imposing their will on this chief's defense and at the end of the game wearing them down to a victory and yet Lamar Jackson, 52 pass attempts, I believe, in the game, the most of his entire career. Why? Because there was another guy on the other side of the field with a number 15 jersey that John Harbaugh and that offensive staff figured out we better start trying to throw the ball and getting big plays and putting more points on the board. That's the impact that he has that makes it so funny for me as a player, a former player, because I know, (laughs) you know, I mean, we, we, we hear about the coaches that sleep in their locker room. We've had those coaches that, you know, stay in there 20 hours a day, barely see their family, putting together this this intricate game plan that we're supposed to go out and do. And then to know that those players have been conditioned like we have and maybe about 40 minutes into the game, 40 literal minutes, maybe in the Little, first quarter, yeah. that game plan changes and now we're going to go in a shootout because of
0: 15. It does. I think when you look at this game the past week with them going for it on fourth down yeah. early on i, I mean, they I said, won't I said, do that again no, this season no they won't and it was a situation where it was like we're going to come in and do what we do and we're going to go for it here on fourth and short and the first two point conversion i get it cuz there was a penalty so you're moving the ball half the distance to the goal on the one you might as well give it a shot the thing to me but you're right about the feel of when a game starts to change and baltimore wanted to come in and run the football Wear the Chiefs down, and then take some shots over the top to Hollywood Brown. You know, hit their tight ends and intermediate routes. They took him out of that game plan. And when Lamar Jackson's throwing it over fifty times a game, that's not what they want to do. You took away the Chiefs' defense. I mentioned they got out physical, but they took away the identity though enough in that game of the Ravens of the Ravens Mm -hmm. that it didn't matter.
1: Yeah, that's true. Um, and I've been and I've been in you know games where you you clearly see the game plan start to change and. You know, what, you playing against a running team, but they got to, you're forcing them to throw the ball. Like it's basically you seeing blood in the water from the from yeah. a defensive standpoint, because mm-hmm. now you have to throw the ball. I'm going to get after you.
2: Well, one like, of the darkest days of my career was playing the Indianapolis Colts in in the playoffs after the '95 season when we were 13 and three, and we started throwing the ball after running the ball. I think we ran for over 100 yards in the first half. Jim Harbaugh is a quarterback, captain comeback is that a quarterback for the Colts, and we started to throw the ball with Steve Bono in the second half. That's one of the games that jumps out to me, and I'm sure a lot of Chiefs fans that are, are still sickened by that great team in 95 that we went away from a game plan to try to put more points on the board when it was minus 11 degrees and we were running the ball at will. But so going back to our original point about longevity and our careers, you guys obviously we have – of different spans of our career, Canadian League to the NFL, back to the Canadian League. Was there a time where you guys started to contemplate your career, whether it's draft time, offseason, OTAs when other receivers or other linebackers are coming into play, nursing back from an injury? Uh, did you, just like I asked earlier, where was there a time where we knew we could make it? Was there a time where you knew it was over, where you knew that? You were done.
0: Yeah, I'd never been cut before in my life until 2006 with Green Bay. Okay. And after the second preseason game. Now I was on a flight to Indianapolis at six o'clock the next morning, you know, to sign with the Colts and played two days later in their preseason game. And then as a vested veteran, um, was, you know, got to talk to that, hey, we're going to bring you back to play some special teams. And then they got three corners hurt in the first two weeks. And I knew that was out the window. Mm -hmm, Right. mm um and then several workouts that year and then in 2007 i knew the cfl was always going to be an option for me to go back up there and so i did and didn't get off to a great start that year got released got picked up by toronto um you know within a week time frame and then after that year still had some other opportunities was gonna have to take a pay cut and it was fine but i looked at it and said you know i've been cut three four times in the last year and a half that wears on you mentally, yeah, man. yeah. it's. You know you can still play in a lot of ways, but at the same time, you're like, okay, people are telling me I can't play anymore, yeah. potentially. And all the time and effort and everything that goes into getting yourself ready to play physically and then mentally, it was at that point in oh six oh seven, and now looking back on it, I think in 07, one of the reasons I got cut is I got off to a bad start. It was I was sulking a little bit more because I just wasn't there mentally. And I looked at it and said, you know, I played for eight years professionally, going out of an high school not bad yeah. you That's know bad like, I'm, all. I'm, I'm all right with that i'd have signed up for one year in the cfl you know looking back exactly. on it so at that point at 30 walking away fairly healthy with only one torn up knee i was like okay this is this is i'm I'm comfortable with walking away from this it's cool to ride off in the sunset yeah. with that. Yeah. but i mean let's not get let's be real like i was pushed out the door though yeah <laughs> right? I, i'm not you know, you we, you know we die twice right yes. when we when we die but then the first time we die as athletes is when our career's over yeah
1: yeah, I would have to say I knew it was over with um 2016 after the after the previous season. I just wasn't I wasn't recovering. My body wasn't coming back the way that it normally do. Um I had been out for maybe 2 months to that time um and my knee was still bothering me mm. like bad. And normally it takes me about a month for me to recover back, but you know, it's been ta- it was taking a long time. And then I realized I had to have surgery and then two surgeries within a 6 week span that's when I knew I'm like, I'm not too sure too many people can come back Back. from this type of trauma to their body to
2: play at this level, to
1: play at this level. I mean, and, and and this was on my knee. So I knew, you know, being able to run and being quick and agile, I needed those things and to not be able to do that, it was crushing. And I knew, and I knew the time was over, but in my mind, in my head, I knew I could still play. I still, I still kind of talk like that to this day and feel like that to this day. Yeah,
2: absolutely. I mean, it just doesn't automatically go away for me. Mm -hmm. You know, there was things that happened in my career that kind of propelled me every year while i was here they drafted a receiver in the third or fourth round or earlier you know you had lake dawson chris penn you had joe horn to Vanover. van over it seemed like year in and year out they were trying to bring somebody in to replace me and be drafted that way so there was a vested interest in that so that kind of propelled me but then as the career goes on just like bo you're talking about you start to realize okay i you know i I think I can still do this, but it doesn't seem like it's going to happen. And I I came to peace with it when I was with the uh, Saints for a Mm preseason. And and Mike Ditka made me captain and then cut me the next week before the season started. I was like, okay, man, you know, now I'm done with this because now I'm starting to get frustrated with it. It's not right. just about what's it's happening the on frustration the frustration sense, the yeah, business yeah, sure. side, and so on. So, you know what, guys, this is a great, great segment, a great, great time for you guys to be in the studio. Obviously, every week we're here Thursday nights, six to seven, players only. A different guest will come in, but Bo, you may be invited back later in the season and we appreciate you coming out man but players only make sure you tune in each week we'll be chopping it up and hopefully next week after another victory for the Chiefs against the Lions we'll be able to dissect that game and what the Chiefs do against Matthew Stafford up there in Detroit thanks for coming out Joe Mays Mark Bo Richter we'll be back with you next week okay picture this
0: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you